Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. It's so nice to be here, and especially I want to thank the young ladies. They did such a wonderful job today with their song. And yes, you're right. This song's going to tie with my message, and even though I didn't know what they're going to sing today, almost like our last few days. And just before I go to my message, I just want to, you know, just put out there a, a quick warning. You know, if you're a driver, and if you're driving Burlington area, just I want you to be careful when you come close to the intersection. doesn't matter if it's led right or green light, you know. My son passed the test. He's got a G1 license, and I thought I would never, I thought I would never see it in my life. But he's 16, you know, and he grow very fast. No, I'm just kidding. He's a wonderful driver as, so far. So, brethren, the high cost of discipleship. I want you to open your Bible today, right? Exactly the same scripture. The Rachel, the Rachel read it to us in Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter 7, and in verse 13. Of all the teachings that Christianity put it out there, just last these two verses, just, just two verses here in this part. Verse 13, it starts right away. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads, that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. There are many who go by this way. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few. There are only few who find it. If you're the one who you might think that you find this narrow way, this narrow road, why? Why would you pick and choose this narrow road? When you read these two verses, this passage like that, what is the first thing that comes into your mind when you read verses like that? As a human being, our tendency, you know, in this natural world, as a natural human being, the, ten- the tendency is not to look for trouble, not to look for difficulties, not to look for hardship. We always look for easy way out. That's who we are. We don't like complications. We don't like confusion. We like the easy way out. And especially for all of us, living in this such a blessed country as Canada. What do we have to worry living here in Canada? We don't have to worry what are we going to eat when we get home, or what are we going to dress tomorrow, or how are we going to pay our bills, or if we're going to have hydro or not, or are we going to have running water or not. That just basically is not our problem. It's not on our priority list. We just take it for granted. What we worry about living in this country, most of the time, is what kind of car I'm going to buy. How expensive or how low it's going to be. Where should I plan my next vacation? Where should I go? If I go to the feast, you know, how many stars is on the hotel? Four, five, three, or three might be too low for me. Maybe on something with four and five. What do we worry here, living in this country? How much money I save for my retirement? I hope that I'm going to live forever. Hopefully, I live till 90. No sicknesses, no problems along the way. And I have enough money so I can travel everywhere I want to. I can do whatever I want to. That's what generally we worry, just living in Canada. We are so blessed, we don't even, sometimes we don't even realize. So, brethren, when you look at Christianity teaching in many churches, even in ours. And you see for over the last decades how churches try to change their approach, how they sell the gospel, so to speak, or changing the marketing tools. If you go and listen to any preacher now, following Christ would sound very easy. Just give up your heart to Christ, and that's it. People don't want to listen about the hard, difficult, narrow, Road. 
Christ life be easy and definitely must be fun because if it's not fun, I don't want to have any part in it. Fun, must be fun. Whatever I do must be fun, okay? And must be comfortable and Christianity must be something that I pick and choose whenever I want to do or whatever I want to do. What's the result of this teaching now? You can look like, you know, the church demographics now. The churches are dying. Less and less people come to church. And even try to selling and marketing gospel like that. What do we get when tough, when going gets tough at church? What happened when brethren learned along the way? I mean, I might be sick. Oh, I lost my job. Or I have my, have my family difficulties. And then what happened? Most people lose their faith. They said, you know, oh, I thought I'm going to have an easy life. Christ's going to bless me so much, you know, that I'm not going to have to worry about anything. So we forget that in this society, if we put something, if we brand something, we're marketing something, that something is cheap, if something is cheap, we don't put any value to something that is cheap. And that's what, Christ, well, that's what people try to push about the gospel. So you see, the, the road is very narrow. And only few who find it. And just having a wonderful weekend last week, having celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Week in Sabbath and the Pentecost on Sunday. I got home and I was thinking, what am I going to speak of? What am I going to bring to, to the brethren? You know, summer is just around the corner. Nice, happy, beautiful, warm days. Lazy days. We'd rather be on the beach. We'd rather be doing something else. Having ice cream. than you know, come to church. Or maybe be committed in some other way. But I opened to a scripture that actually shook my faith. And I want to share with you. It's not something that I found the first time. If, open your Bible to Luke chapter 9. The Gospel of Luke. In verse 9. It starts in verse 57. Now it happened, as they journey on the road, that someone said to him. So you have to put yourself into this situation, okay? Your journey with Christ. Try to imagine your mind. Your journey with Christ on the same road. And at the same moment, somebody said to Christ, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Sometimes you come to church, you hear, you hear a good message. You hear a good, you know, good music, wonderful words. And you, know, you get emotionally inspired. And you make commitment. Christ, I will follow you. I will follow you. And look how Christ responds. In verse 58. And Jesus said to him, He says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nets. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Just think about it for a moment. You want to follow Christ. You want to be his disciple. Christ is saying, If you want to follow me, look at me. I will lead you, but look at me. I have no place to go. I have no any security in this life. Animals have a place where they go for sleep or for the night or for the day. But I'm just traveling. I'm doing a will of God. And if you want to be like me, if you really want to follow me, are you ready to live the same life what I did? Are you so committed that you would give up everything and follow me? There are costs. There are very high cost to discipleship. Just picture, okay? You travel in the same company. Just picture yourself. You travel in the same company. And you see, you see Jesus. And you get so excited. And now, imagine Christ is looking at you. Christ is looking at your eyes. He's looking at you. And look at the next verse. In verse 59. Then he said to another. Imagine you are the another guy. You are the another person. Christ would look at you, and he will tell you, you, 
you follow me. But the person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And I can relate to it. We just had the funerals a few weeks ago. My father-in-law died. And everybody who had any close relative died at home. You know how much you know, destruction that that brings into families. You mourn for the loss of someone, close one, and then trying to arrange all the funerals and everything along the way, all the costs, you know, trying to arrange the time from your work. And, you know, look how Christ answered this guy. Imagine, he's looking at you and saying, you know, you follow, you follow me. And says, you say, oh, sorry, Christ, you know, I'm busy, I have a funeral to attend. I have my family. Look what Christ says. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. If you read this text, if this text doesn't scare you, you and me, maybe you're not reading our Bibles. We don't interpret the text the way how we're supposed to. You see what Christ is saying? There's nothing you can do for a dead person. There's nothing we can do as a community for a dead person. Absolutely nothing. The dead is dead. Let the dead bury the dead. But if you have this commitment to Christ, there's no excuses. Christ says, even death shouldn't be used as an excuse. And you know, it's easy. I know myself. I didn't have any problem to get time off at work. Everybody was cooperating. I didn't have any problem at church, nowhere. Everybody understood. It's a difficult time. And everybody needs a time off. But, just keep going. In verse 61. And another also said, Lord, oh yeah, I will follow you. Well, let, me go, let, let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. In verse 62. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. If, let's say, I have a mission, somebody wants to send me on a mission somewhere, let's say, to a different country, a different continent, wouldn't it be natural that I would come home, sit with my wife, discuss with my wife, and, you know, having such a wonderful church family, I would probably have a big party, invite everybody, you know, have a nice time together, sing together, you know, kiss each other goodbye, my family, my children, and Christ is saying, if you're not fit to operate the plow. I was blessed. I was raised on a farm, and I know what it means when you have to operate a plow driven by an animal. Okay? You've got to keep the plow at the right angle, and you've got to watch it. You've got to keep attention. You can't go too deep. You can't go too shallow. You can't go too left. You can't go to the right. For a moment, you start to talking to somebody. Take your eyes off the plow. You've got to stop it. You've got to move the animals back. Start all over again. From the same spot where you lose. So Christ understood. And the same principle applied to Christians. Any distractions along the way can pull you away. He slowed you down. And that's not my words. And you know, this message, I'm not trying to preach to you. This message is for myself. Because sometimes I think, you know, I'm doing so well. I'm so good. I want to pat on my back. But when you come to scriptures like that, you have to start all over again. And you see, brethren, that's not enough. You might think that, you know, that's harsh words of Christ. Very harsh words. But it's not over. It's not over yet. I want to show you some other scriptures, brethren. You see, just before we go to another scriptures, like when you read just short passage like that, there is a common thread here for this passage. You know what's one excuse to all these three different scenarios here? There's one excuse. Every single individual said, my family, my family, my family. That's a common thread. My family, my family. So you see, everything is related to my family or to my home. And sometimes, as a parents here living in this country, we are so preoccupied with our children. We spend countless hours 
trying to research the best school where I can put my child. We can work unbelievable amount of overtime so we just save enough money so we can save our, send our daughter or our son to the prestige school so the kids will get a higher education. Just think about it. What's wrong with our priorities when you read passages like that? What is supposed to be number one on our agenda? What is Christ saying here? If Christ would come and let's say open your organizer, it doesn't matter. If it's still on a sheet of paper, the old way or a new way, on a smartphone or a smart device, if you just look at your organizer and just look at your priority, what would be there, number one, number two, number three, and on and on and on? What do you think? What would you find in your organizer? What would I find in my organizer as priority number one, number two, number three? And see, Christ cares. He doesn't want just part of you. Whenever you can, maybe just on a Sabbath or maybe just on a high day. Or maybe when you're comfortable, when you feel like it, when the weather is nice. Christ wants your commitment all the time, 24-7, from Sabbath to Sabbath. No exception. For everyone. But, just move over to Luke chapter 14. What does it cost to be a disciple of Christ? What does it cost to be a disciple of Christ? Verse 25. Just read verse 25. Just the first one for now. Now a great multitude went with him, and he turned and said to them. Now the hard words, hard words coming from Christ. But just look at it. Great multitude went after him. If you would put Christ in our society, of let's say some of the preachers or the church leaders, if they were in Christ's shoes living in our society, or you know, even back then, just operating on a human mind, operating on a human perspective, when you have such a following, okay, Christ would say, hey, catch your arms. Let's start the revolution. Let's storm the Jerusalem. And we're going to restore the throne of God right now. And I'll be the king. And most people will be happy. That's what they want. They will just say, oh yeah, let's go. Throw the Romans away from here. Kill them all. And have our own way. Christ didn't do that. He says, no, that's not the way I came here. Okay? What's the other possibility when you have such a great multitude that follow you? Okay? Look at some preachers today in today's society. You know what Christ could do? He would say, you know what? If you want to be healed, just pay me 50 denarii. Or, you know, I don't have to come. I will send you this cloth. It will cost you 30 denarii. I will send it to you. Just have it. And, by the way, when they preach after the sermon, I'll, 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 you know, I'll pass the play around. So that, you know, peace offering, you can collect your money. So just imagine for a moment. Christ could probably, he could have retired comfortably just after two years of his service. He would find a nice mansion somewhere on the Cyprus, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, with a nice climate. Or let's say if we transfer him to this society, he will have a multiple of jets flying all over the place, collecting the money, healing people, doing all kinds of stuff. And he didn't do it. And he was very specific what he wants from his disciple. And just keep reading. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, and does not hate his father, and mother, wife, and children, brothers and sister, yes, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. When you read texts like that, what do you think? What's the understanding? What is Christ, what is Christ trying to tell us here? Do we really have to hate our family? Do I have to hate my wife? Or my daughter? Or my son? And love Christ? How can I love God and hate my brother and sister? Would that be reconciling with the scripture? What is the meaning? We have to find out. Just hold your space here for a moment. But let's go to Matthew chapter 10. There's another similar passage here. In Matthew chapter 10. 
And in verse 34, Christ is saying again, Do not think, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace on, peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace by the sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's the meaning. We get a little bit more understanding. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So I heard messages. I heard messages that some preachers ask to actually hate your mothers and your fathers and everything like that. Okay? But that's not the meaning. Okay? That's not the meaning. Now, just to make sure, okay, our young people, that you're not supposed to hate your mother and your father, okay? Just to make sure, just go to Matthew chapter 15. Because we shouldn't make a conclusion just based on the one, one verse stick out of the context, okay? Matthew chapter 15. And in verse 4, it says, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, and let, let him be put to death. So Christ is quoting from the Ten Commandments. as He knows exactly what he's quoting from, okay? If you go to Matthew 19, Matthew 19 and verse 17, Actually, started with verse 16. Now, behold, one came, and, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he mentioned some of the commandments in verse 19. It says the same thing. Christ is saying, Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you're not supposed to hate your father and your mother. And you can also know how Christ so much loved his mother. Even when he was dying on the cross, he said, he said to his, one of his disciples, to John, he says, you take care of my mother. Because he was going away to his father. But this hate is a very interesting uh, interpretation you will get from many different people. But what Christ was saying here about hating your mother and your father is actually quoting from Micah chapter 7. I'd like you to open to Micah chapter 7 to get a little bit better perspective there. Micah chapter 7. It was a common Jewish understanding at that time, at Christ's time, that huge society disorder will come before the Messiah. Society at, at large will be a big mess. All the societal structure will fall, just like it happened in the days of Lot, when the, when the Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by God. So in Micah chapter 7, Micah chapter 7 and verse 5, actually start a little bit ahead. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes. Just right before the destruction, Micah is writing, okay? And now shall be their perplexity. In verse 5, do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonor father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and man's enemy are men of his own household. That was the context. Great destruction was coming for Judah. Great destruction was coming for Israel. When the Babylonians surrendered Jerusalem, moms were eating their own babies because they were starving to death. They didn't have any choice. So people were eating people. Nobody could trust anybody. If you say, come to my home, I'll give you a tea or, or coffee, everybody will look at you. Uh-oh, maybe they're going to eat me alive. So, you know, I have to make sure. So that's the context when Christ was saying that, you know, I'm not come to bring a peace. 
Christ was telling him, Messianic age is coming. I'm your Messiah, and I came here, and look what's going to happen of my preaching. And that's exactly what happened. So, brethren, to hate one, to hate one mother and father doesn't mean that, you know, we have to hate somebody, a person, with all our emotions. No. It's different. When the Bible says about hating somebody, it's talking about the preference. It's talking about the preference that God puts on some people. And I'll show you, I will show you what the Bible speaks about it. Like, you know, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 33, when, when Moses was blessing, when, when those, Moses was blessing all, all the tribe before his death, Deuteronomy chapter 33, he actually had uh, some few good words to say about the Levites. Deuteronomy chapter 33, and I'll read to you from the NAD version, New International Version. And Moses said this about the tribe of Levi, Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 8. O Lord, you have given your Tunim and Urim, the sacred lots, to your faithful servants, the Levites. You put them to the test at Massa and struggled with them at the water of Meribah. And verse 9, and the Levites, the Levites obeyed your word and guarded your covenant. That's what God wants from us. Okay? How? They were more loyal to you than to their own parents. You draw the line here. When your parents are against God, then you stick with God. If your wife is against God and you marry, you stick with God. If your husband is against God and your wife, you would rather stick with God than with your husband. They ignored their relatives and did not acknowledge their own children. And God loves that. That's a full commitment. Nobody stands in the way. They teach your regulations to Jacob and they give your instruction to Israel. They present incense before you and offer whole burnt offering on the altar. So the word he in the Bible is often used to express priority and preference. And we sometimes, we get it wrong. Like if Deuteronomy chapter 21, 21 is the same thing when a man would marry two women and he, he would love one more than the other and as the result of that he would have children, right? And God is very specific. He would say Deuteronomy chapter 21, in verse 15, he says, If a man has two wives, one loved, and the other loved unloved, or hate, okay? And they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved. And if the firstborn son is of, of her who is unloved, or less favor, the second one. But the point is verse 17. You can read the whole passage. But in verse 17, But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength, the right, of, his first, the right of, of, of the firstborn is his. So it doesn't matter what your emotion, where they fall, God's law takes precedence over everything. You might have a special relation with, you know, like at that time with this wife, not so much with the other one, but you have the children with the other one, and God says, my law always will stand, and you shall honor and obey God's law. You know, the other passage that you probably hear very often, if you go to, if you go to Malachi, Chapter, chapter 1, when people quote this so often, it says, how can a loving God hate somebody? Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. It's the same thing. And so people look at verse like that and says. How can God hate somebody? When, you know, we read in John 3.16 that, where it says that God loved so much the world that he gave his only son. How can God love somebody? No, it's just the same thing. God has a preference. Why? Because he was the son of the covenant. The other one just refused it. Even though he had the right to, he refused it. He sold his birthright to his younger brother. So that's why. That's the only thing. Why? All right. Let's go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And look at this. Christ is very specific here in this text. Three times. Three times he said, you cannot be my disciples. Three times. Verse 26 at the end he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, at the end he says, he cannot be my disciples. Verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross 
Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, that's number two, cannot be my disciple. And verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciples. Three times, cannot be my disciples, cannot be my disciples. Christ is very serious, very serious about it. So, what Christ means by that? If anything, your job, your career, your church, your leader, your politician, if anybody stands between you and God and try to take you away from God, then you don't follow personally that. You don't, you're not following God the way how God's designed for you. Your focus is straight on God and anything you come in between it will be just distraction. It doesn't matter what it is or who it is. And most of the time, what Christ is saying, what most of the time Christ gives us the warning is the family. It's the family that will just distract us. And I'll give you a simple example. When I came to faith, it was a war. Going from a Sunday keeping to a Sabbath keeping. And stop eating food. That, you know, stop eating food that most people of my culture eat, which is pork. Wherever you go, that's what they would serve. And, you know, it just bring confusion to all of them. How can you do such a thing to all of us? You know, look at your father, look at your grandfather, and grand-grandfather. They were all following your faith. What's wrong with you? Are you smarter than everybody else? Are you smarter than pulpits? Hard question. So, you know, I, we, I had to fight, not just for my own family, but also for my in-law. And I, there was a moment when Daniel was, actually, when he was born, after a moment, they say, how can you not baptize him? I said, how can I baptize him? Oh, why not? Just baptize him. And, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. Just do, okay, just do what you want to do. But let's just baptize your son. If something happened to him and he died, let's just baptize your son. And you see, you see the compromise? You baptize your son, but you can do whatever you want to do. That's how easy it is to compromise. And you know, and I remember, I went to Pastor John Cash. And you know, that's the smartest advice I ever get. I asked him this question, he just said one thing. If you will compromise with this, he said, what's next? And I, just, I was just thinking, it just hit my head and it says, you're right. I just turned around and says, no, that's it. That's got to stop. But that's how it is. The most, we're not going to get persecution from the Americans. We're not going to get persecution from anybody else. Most of the time, we get confusion and persecution coming from our own families. Might be peaceful. Might be very peaceful. But it can be very distracting. How are we going to answer your daughter? How are we going to answer your son? Or your mom? Or your dad? Or your grandfather? When they will say something, what? You don't love me? How come you don't love me? It's hard. And you say, okay. I'll just compromise. Instead of come to church, you know, I'll go for a birthday party today. I'll just compromise. Be with my family. Just who cares? Just for the sake of peace. I'll do that. Just think about it. If that's what Christ is saying, are you committed or are you not committed? Are you half-hearted or are you, or, or, or you whole-hearted? Which way you take? There's no middle ground. There's only two ways. One is very narrow and one is very wide. There's no middle one. You either walk this narrow one where only few find it or if you don't care, you walk with the rest of humanity and then you don't care. Then, you know, make a choice. Choose today. You want to serve God or you want to serve us? Serve somebody else. That's how serious it is, brethren. Okay? So, you see, you cannot be my disciple. I know that's harsh words, but it's true. I can, I can relate to my own experience with my old family. So, when you get home, open your organizer and look at your priorities. What's number one, number two, number three? And, you know, sometimes we argue at church for little things. You know, sometimes we're not happy because the weather is a little bit raining, a little bit too high. You know, I mean, too hot or a little bit too cold. We like to complain about it. Is that important? I don't think so. There's another passage what Christ says here. And it says, in verse 27, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does this mean? Bearing his cross. And there's all kind of interpretation of this. One simple sentence. Everybody says, oh, I have my own cross to bear. 
And the other person who says, yeah, yeah, I have my own cross to bear. There's only one cross. It can be two, three, four, or five. What is that supposed to mean? Okay? What was the symbol of the cross? What was the meaning of the cross for Jesus Christ? What was the meaning of the cross for, let's say, his disciples? Like you see at the back, at my back, there is a cross. And you know what many people do? They will come to symbols like that. They will bow before that. They will kiss it. They will wear it on their necks, anywhere else. They will put it in their homes or in every single room. Because that's something they cherish. For many, Christian cross means, you know, salvation, atonement, forgiveness. For many Christians. What would be the symbol of cross for the first century Christian? What would be the symbol? One only. A torturous death and suffering. And nothing else. A torturous death and suffering. Christians wouldn't even look at that in the first century because it would symbolize for them suffering of Christ. Now people put crosses all over the place. Even on the next. That's how symbolism can change. But Jesus' day, the cross represented nothing more than death. And a painful death. The Romans forced their convicts, okay, the criminals, to carry their own cross on their soldier, on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on their hands, to carry, to carry this to the place of crucifixion. That's what it was. Carry your own cross. What does it mean for you and me? The same thing. Are you willing to carry your own cross? Are you willing? When a situation, let's say, one day would come, are you willing to die for Christ? That's what it means. It's not that, you know, like, oh, I have a problem with my family. That's my little cross that I have to bury, okay? Some people say, oh, I have a problem with my work. That's another little cross that I have to bury. No. Are you really want to die for Christ or not? That's it. If the situation is going to come and demand one day, you're going to be like Peter, who will say, you know, speaking from the not from the sources, but, you know, from all kind of, you know, crucified me upside down. Because I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way as Christ. Are you really, you know, willing to do that? We're living in a beautiful country, as I said. Our priority is a little bit slightly different than that that was Christ's priority. Slightly different. A little bit different. So I don't know. I'm asking you because, you know, I don't know. I think I, I, think I would die for Christ. Well, let's say if somebody, something happened, and somebody come, I will try to execute my daughter or my son or my wife. I don't know. Hopefully I'll say, you know what, I love you more than I do. Than, than all of you. That's easy to say. Now, when you know there's no persecution. But if, you know, persecution comes, we'll be able to do that. Hopefully. Maybe not all of us. Maybe some of us. And one day might come, who knows? You can't tell. So you see, the whole cost of discipleship. The beauty about the Christ gospel, he doesn't just give us a good news on one hand. Christ provides what is going to cost us to accomplish this good news. It doesn't come cheap. It doesn't come freely. Like you hear just, the only thing you have to do is just give up your heart to Christ. And that's it. No. There are high prices that Christian paid over the centuries. Over the centuries, they paid with their lives to preserve what they know, the teachings, the right doctrines, even the word that we read today, they're so freely available. People died to just to preserve it. So, brethren, we have to, as a Christian, we have to plan. We have to count our costs. We have to be aware. You know, we live in a society right now that even though we are so blessed, I'm talking, you know, materially so blessed, financially so blessed, and on the other, on the other hand, no other nations in the entire world are so, so in debt to the Western countries. Just think about it. It's a paradox. 60% of Canadian population, 60% of Canadian population live paycheck from paycheck. So if people lose their job for a week or a two, They'll have a financial difficulties. We live in the most blessed country in the entire world. And 60% of the populations want to have now and pay later. 
I want to have it now and pay later. When you look at church organizations, how the income is dwindling over, over the years. If you go to Christian's home and look at their priority, where do they put their money first? Where do they put their money first? What's the most important thing? My mortgage, my car, you know, my new kitchen, and on and on and on. And then by the end, the end will be offering or something else. You know, I'm preaching to myself. That's just, don't get offended, okay? That's just a message to myself. If you can learn something along the way, that's great. How often we should count the costs? How often? Some people would say, like, I remember during my, my Baptist counseling, I was asked if I had counted the costs. And I thought I did at that time. But what I knew back then, it was just a little, what I know right now. Could I properly count the cost back then? I don't know. I don't think so. But if you go to verse 28, Luke 14 and verse 28. I'm in a wrong scripture, brethren. Just give me a second. They'll come to this a little bit later. But, counting the cost, just, just think for a moment. If, let's say, you decided to renovate your kitchen, you know. Ladies, you love to renovate your kitchen, right? So, let's say you want to renovate your kitchen. You count the costs. You know how, how much it's going to take to remove everything from the kitchen. From the floor to all the cabinets to everything. You know the price tag. And you know how you want to replace it. And just imagine one day you go to any of the stores and you see a beautiful gold, golden countertop. And you say, oh, I just love this thing. And you'll spend all your money, even go into the debt, just to have this countertop. And you bring it home, and you install it, and you know, it looks good one hour, and the second hour, and the next day you get up and thinking like, oh, when am I going to put all my dishes? I don't have any of the cabinets. I throw my old oven. I don't even have a new one. But I have a beautiful countertop, right? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be wonderful? So we see... Christians, we should be learned from the early ages, from the early age, how to plan, how to be organized, how to count the cost along the way. Nothing comes freely. Nothing is cheap. Salvation is not cheap. And you know, if you go look here in 14, and hopefully I'm going to find, yeah, in verse 28. Now we're talking... Christ is talking here about the man who wants to build a tower. And he says in verse 28, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? So, what is Christ saying? There is not a big problem when you start to building something, you don't finish a structure or a building. That's not a problem. What he's talking about, if you start something spiritually, when you start something spiritually, and you don't finish it, you ruin your life. Because you didn't count the cost properly. Unfinished life, ruined life, is way worse than unfinished building structure. But there is a simple lesson. Okay? If we are not good planning for our physical life, most of the time we'll be not good planning our spiritual life. From the physical thing, we can learn, learn a lot about our spiritual thing, our spiritual life. So now let's go to Luke 14 and verse 33. Christ summarized this stuff. You can read the whole passage here, but he summarized in verse 33. He says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he, that he has cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. So there is a priority. There is a high cost. And you know, but with the high cost come a great rewards. High cost come a great rewards. And you know, I'm not trying to scare you. To death today, you know, just my message, you know, we go home, you're going to be depressed. So, what I want to do here in the, my last, whatever, five, ten minutes, whatever time I have, I want to ask you a question. I would like to have your participation. Just think for a moment and just answer if you would like to share with all, us, of all of us here. What cost have you paid since following Christ? Just think about it. If you, if you don't mind to share it, please.
Brother Ray. Weekends. And he's very good at music. He could be who knows who now. All right, at least making a good money. Right? Yeah. Choosing the right career, which he actually gave up for Christ, right? Anybody else? Brother Agent and Brother Gordon. You gave up your family. Just what I had to do. Brother Gordon. Brother, can you wait with that scripture? I'm not finished yet. No. All right. You're talking about costs, okay? Just talk about costs for now. We're going to get to benefits a little bit later, okay? Anyone else wants to share? Dana. Everybody paid a price. If you're in church for longer than, let's say, a few years, we all paid a price in a way, one way or the other. Let me ask you the other question. What have you gained in Christ? What have you gained in Christ? Just think about it. Think for a second. Brother Agent. Beautiful. Anyone else? What have you gained in Christ? Brother Gordon? Everything. Everything. Some of you, before your conversion, some of you maybe experience like very sinful behavior. Just think about it. Maybe not all of us, but maybe some of us. I did some of the sinful behavior before I come to Christ. I don't do it anymore. I would be, who knows, way on distraction doing something. I'm not doing it anymore. And I'm happy. It's just that, what a pleasure is just to come to church every Sabbath. And, you know, just talk to you. You're like my new family, like my new brothers and sisters. And we have something common that we can relate to one another. Because we go, guess what? We go through the same, you know, through the same harshness of life. We learn very important lessons along the way that we can share with one another. And just we have to be patient with one another and guide with one another. So, Lord, I have a final closing scripture, okay? If you guys, but it's not in Luke. It's in Matthew chapter 19. But I think I know where you're going. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and in verse 27. Matthew 19, verse 27. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and follow you. Therefore, what shall we have? And that's true. When Peter and Andrew and John, Christ was walked by, he walked by and just said, you just follow me. I'll make you fisher of men. They never ask questions. They just left everything. Their boats, their nets, and everything. Their own business. They just left it away, just like that. And they follow Christ. No question asked. Don't give me a day or week or month or two. I will save everything that I have and I'll come and follow you, okay? No. They follow Christ right away on the spot. So they answer Christ a question. And look how Christ answered it. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, not when one day I'll go to heaven, but in regeneration, 
when you know in the next resurrection, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve throne of twelve twelve throne judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What an honor. What a blessing. What was their cost to following Christ? Everything. What did they gain by following Christ? Everything. Even more than everything, okay? But you will say, they were disciples of Christ, okay? What about you and me? Our regular people, our regular folks. What about us? Keep reading. Verse 29. And everyone, not just some, everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, what they shall receive? Shall receive a hundredfold but that's not important. What's next? What's the most important thing? And do what? And inherit eternal life. What can be more important than that? Than have eternal life with Jesus Christ and our Father forever and ever. What can be more important? What costs can be higher than that? I don't think there is any. So brethren, I'm not trying to scare you today. I'm not trying to scare myself, but I did get a little bit scared. You know, after all this beautiful weekend that we have last week. But what I want you to do, brethren, when you get home tonight or tomorrow, where sometimes when you get in little arguments with our spouses or children or anybody or even at church, think, what's my number one priority? What's my number, number two priority? What's my number three priority? Because it's easy to say, I'm Christian. It's easy to say, Christ, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh, really? May God be with you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.